Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I begin this morning just as Elder J. Golden Kimball began his general conference address in October 1932. He said in his inimitable fashion, I take it that we'll all be relieved when I get through this morning. <laughs> so it is today, and President Lee, sitting nervously and vicariously in the stead of President Heber J. Grant, responds grimly, Amen. I'd like to begin my invasion of your souls this morning by wrenching a bit the lyrics of the hymn we sang a few moments ago by Elder W.W. Phelps, written at the dawning of the Restoration, as the Spirit of God had just begun to come forth with latter-day, brand-new dispensational intensity. The Spirit of God, like a fire, is burning. His latter-day glory pours everywhere forth. His Spirit and blessings are manifest daily, and angels commune with his children on earth. I wish to celebrate this morning the reality of the often ignored and too little heralded but very real outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the believing inhabitants of earth. Right now, this morning, in the early evening of the last dispensation, I hope that when I get through this morning, we might all leave this meeting with our eternal perspective refurbished and revitalized, and sharing the jubilation of Elder Phelps's chorus, we'll sing and we'll shout with the armies of heaven, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Many of you know what I'm talking about when I talk of Hosanna moments, those transcendent moments in our lives when, without warning, we're overwhelmed by a close encounter with eternity, a surprise of the Spirit, those moments when, while engaged in temporal rhythms of our daily and earth-encrusted lives, comfortably duped by familiar routines, we're suddenly brought face-to-face -face with the holy, swept by the Spirit of God into a transcendent reality, overwhelmed by undeniable evidence of a literal Father in heaven who knows you and knows me and is somehow interested and involved in our lives. Then the we'll sing and we'll shout moment is that moment when our God, brother of Jaredingus, reaches his hand through the veil to startle our sensibilities, to reassure, to comfort, to guide, to prod, to change our course. Then our spirits soar, our souls are renewed, and we can never really be the same again. It's my experience that in one way or another, these glimpses of eternity come to most of us nudging us toward our destiny, his welcome and too infrequent interventions shout to our souls that our Heavenly Father lives, that his purpose is to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life, that we live our lives in the eye of the Father, not at the periphery, but at the center of his vision, and that our God is everywhere present, Brigham Young told us, by the power of his Spirit, his minister, the Holy Ghost. The surprise of the spirit which quickened the life of a young Swedish woman more than 20 years ago illustrates and exemplifies the pattern I'm fumbling to describe. Naming her story for you makes it resonate once more in my soul 
for it is pure and simple truth. Sister Ingrid Olson, not her real name, was a recently divorced mother of two little boys with almost as recently a convert to the church. The divorce had alienated Ingrid from part of her family, and her conversion to Mormonism had alienated her from the rest. The resulting personal anguish had dampened her initial joy in joining the church. Instead, she felt alone and abandoned and overwhelmed before an uncertain future. In the midst of such turmoil, her prayers seemed futile, and what should have been a time of spiritual refreshing had become a season of despair. Bewildered by it all, she welcomed one afternoon the opportunity to make a delivery for her shop to a neighboring village nearly 90 minutes away by bicycle. She planned to devote the trip to prayer, hoping to receive some indication that her Heavenly Father understood her plight and would give her some needed direction and solace. As she rode her bicycle toward her destination, she was miserably aware that the darkening day and threatening clouds matched her own darkened spirits, and she felt that her prayers were rebounding unheard and unanswered from the leaden heavens. In this state of mind, Ingrid at length reached the distant village and made her discovery, her delivery. Starting on her return trip, her workday concluded, she rode her bicycle up a long incline in the face of an increasingly strong wind before which she could hardly make progress. Seeing in her difficulty an opportunity to test the reality of the Lord, she went into a grove of trees and prayed that the Father would manifest his presence in a simple way. He would stop the wind, and she would know that he heard her prayers and knew her predicament. Mustering her faith, she resumed her journey in the face of an ever-increasing headwind. She rode hard into that wind, becoming more disillusioned and bitter with each kilometer, for it seemed apparent that God, if after all there really was such a being, had neither heard nor answered her heartfelt pleas. Arriving at last at the hill above her village, a bitter Sister Olson dismounted before, the co before coasting down the hill toward her home. Looking to the lowering heavens, she uttered a sardonic, Thanks, Lord, now I know. Then it happened, the surprise of the Spirit. Suddenly Ingrid Olson was filled with an intense, powerful, commanding voice, which sounded through her being and thrilled her with the words, I did not still the wind. Instead, I gave you strength to overcome. Then stillness, and that was all. But God had changed her life. She was stunned by the reality of what she had just experienced. Her whole soul reverberated with the Hosanna shout, and she stood all amazed at this tangible answer to her prayers. Wondering about the meaning of the words, she glanced at her watch and was surprised to realize that she had made the 90-minute return trip in the face of the heaviest wind she had ever encountered in less than 60 minutes. She knew immediately the truth of the words of the Holy Spirit. He had not stilled the wind. He had instead given her strength to overcome. She knew as well that this revelation described his pattern in dealing with all of his mortal children, and it becomes a revelation to all of us who listen with spiritually attuned ears. God will not diminish the adversity or the obstacles of our lives. There must need be such, 
That is the nature of our probation. However, he will be with us always, even unto the ends of the earth, to guide and direct and give succor through his minister, the Holy Spirit. The chorus to this Hosanna shout is a happy one. Moved by this striking manifestation of God in her life, Ingrid Olson rode immediately to the office of her branch president and related to him all that had occurred. Sensing his role as an instrument in effecting God's will, the president responded by making arrangements and securing financial assistance for her and her boys to journey to Provo, Utah, where Ingrid would attend Brigham Young University. Strengthened by the Lord as he had promised, she came here, overcame all obstacles, and triumphed, finding early in her schooling at BYU a latent artistic talent. She became a sculptor, learning the craft right here in this building. Eventually, completing advanced training at Brigham Young, she returned to Sweden, established a studio, became an accomplished and successful sculptor, even fulfilling commissions for the King of Sweden. She later married a Mormon widower and former bishop and is now a grandmother and renowned artist and faithful Latter-day Saint in her native land. These, those two little boys are returned missionaries, BYU graduates and fathers. You'll be interested in a footnote. One of her early pieces of sculpting, now gracing the home of two BYU faculty members, is a polished stone sculpted to portray a stone shaped by eons of wind, blasting and polishing its raw surface. The name of the sculpture is Adversity Two. Adversity One is Ingrid's own adamant self, which the Lord shaped by adversity into what will become her finest work of art. Now on hearing this account, Sophic souls, who are those who limit their perception of reality to the five finite senses, will scoff. They'll comment on Sister Olson's temporary insanity, her wild imaginative powers, and complex psychology, and dismiss the whole matter as foolish self-delusion. You see, it is constitutionally impossible for the earthbound Sophic to understand things of the spirit which appear as foolishness to them. On hearing this same account, those Sophic Mormons, those men and women torn between the faith which sparked their own spirits in simpler times and the skepticism and doubt born of their worldly training which teaches them to ground their truth in empirical evidence, will emit the groan of Goethe's Faust, two souls, alas, are dwelling in my breast and reach for a spiritual antacid tablet and go on wearing out their lives, attempting to balance the spiritual and the worldly, which are two fundamentally antithetical ways of perceiving the world. Most Latter-day Saints, on the other hand, on hearing this account, will generally feel, depending on their spiritual equilibrium at the moment, the familiar thrill of spiritual recognition. You know what I mean the shiver through the body, the cold chill across the back, the flash across the spirit, and yes, the burning in the bosom. And he will nod his head affirmingly, or she will smile her knowing smile, and adding Sister Olson's testimony to their store of such testimonies, they'll ask you if you have a moment to listen to an experience which just recently occurred in their lives, and behold, we're enjoying an impromptu testimony meeting. For the Latter-day Saint, Ingrid Olson's experience is part and parcel of the nature of human life, 
something inherent in the warp and woof of mortality. The world will never understand these characteristics of the Mormon people or of this university, but they are engraved, engraved in the souls of every Latter-day Saint, despite having been raised, as Paul says, in bondage under the elements of the world and in thrall as we are to materialism, the Latter-day Saints are nevertheless a believing people who affirm President David O. McKay's assertion that, after all, the spiritual life is the true life of man. Rejecting the limited, sophic view of the world, the Latter-day Saints are also a mantic people, which means they live their daily lives in conscious and constant awareness of the very real, infinite world beyond this shadow world of finite earth. Living in this world, but believing in the mantic world, the Latter-day Saints are, if you'll allow it, a cockeyed people with one eye cocked to the ultimate reality of infinity, the out there, while the other eye is cocked to the immediate daily realities of life, the here and now. The Holy Spirit is the link between these two worlds because the Latter-day Saints are also a charismatic people, those who consciously seek and cultivate the presence of the divine in their lives, who seek to elevate the place of the Holy Spirit in their lives, to center their lives in a dynamic theology of expectation, expectation of the divine. That is the character, charismatic Mormons live their lives in confidence that the Father and his Son can and may and do intervene in human lives and may do so at any moment in order to assist us mortals in our individual and collective courses. But while we are also a covenant people and are accountable for our ministries among the saints, we will be judged, saved, and exalted at last as individual spirits. At the center of the plan of salvation is the reality that God's children, momentarily adrift in mortality, are entitled to the Spirit of God, said Brigham Young, entitled to the power of the Holy Ghost to lead them in their individual duties. In fact, it is our individual enjoyment of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Prophet Joseph told President Martin Van Buren, that differentiates us as a people from other believers. And when Joseph appeared to Brigham Young in a dream sometime after his death, his counsel was to the individual Latter-day Saint. Tell the people to be humble and faithful, he said, and be sure to keep the spirit of the Lord, and it will lead them right. Be careful and not turn away the small, still voice. It will teach them what to do and where to go. It will lead them just right. In the plan of God, then, it is the Holy Spirit which unrolls the string which we pilgrims, wanderers, and strangers on earth follow hopefully through the long and hazardous journey back to God who is our home. This innate longing for home is implanted in our souls by a wise father, and it is recalled into our consciousness by the Spirit of God as a kind of homing signal which prompts each of us at various points amidst our journeying to look up, point to the distant stars among which revolves Kolob, and cry out like the homesick E.T., a fellow extraterrestrial, home. Our souls resonate to the truths expressed by Eliza R. Snow. For a wise and glorious purpose, thou hast placed me here on earth, and withheld the recollection of my former friends, 
and birth. Yet oft times a secret something whispered, you're a stranger here. And I felt that I had wandered from a more exalted sphere. One evening last week while attending a local wedding reception, my wife Janice and I exchanged greetings with elder and sister Neil A. Maxwell. On being apprised that I would be addressing you today, he asked after the topic to my statement that I would be talking to you about the reality and presence of the Spirit in our lives, he responded instantly, and as only Elder Maxwell can, with, the Lord does a good job of micromanagement through the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? <laughs> Although we don't claim that the Latter-day Saints have a corner on the Spirit of the Lord, it is a given among us that our Heavenly Father intervenes to micromanage our pilgrimage to mortality all within the framework of our agency. Each surprise of the Spirit fulfills the Father's promise to impart unto you my Spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy, which shall at last bring us safely home. For it seems to me on reflection that our Heavenly Father's micromanagement serves in one way or another to aid us in understanding the human predicament, to recall us to the eternal perspective, to keep us on course, and to point out our individual roles in his plan of salvation and exaltation. Consider his micromanagement in the life of a dear friend of ours in St. Gallen, Switzerland. Despairing, lonely, and purposeless, she knelt in her room one spring afternoon in 1988 and cried out in anguish to her God that unless he showed her some reason and purpose for living, gave some indication that he heard her prayers, she saw no reason to live any longer and would take her own life. You mantics can guess the rest, for it's a classic instance of divine micromanagement, which is repeated many times daily among the children of men. Scarcely 20 minutes later, elders Albright and Goobler were at her door. Though they were weary after tracting for several hours without success, something in Sister Anelora's face sparked that ineffable something called the Holy Spirit and led the elders to scuttle their standard door approach. Instead, Elder Albright said, the Lord has sent us to tell you why you're here on earth. Stunned, Sister Anna Laura had just heard, because she had just heard the words of her prayer repeated in American accents, she invited the elders in, and they all taught her as a direct, and what she learned from them was seen by her as a direct message from God. Startled into new awareness by the Holy Spirit, which rolled over her in waves of light. She caught in an instant the plan, vision of the plan of God and of her role in that plan. It was as if she had always known these truths, but had misplaced them momentarily. Instantly transformed, she was baptized the following week. She is currently a temple-going young woman's president in her ward, intent on keeping vital the presence of the Spirit in her life. Because of the dramatic changes which the Lord's micromanagement effects in the lives of converts to the church, the mission field has always been the front line in the battle for the human soul, a wonderful showcase for the strange acts of the Holy Spirit. Like many of your journals, my missionary journals as a young man and as a mission president read like a rough providence primer and thrill me more with each reading. For example, on March 11, 1958, I concluded a two-page description of a rich and productive day in the Austrian ministry with these words. It has been quite a day, and the Lord has really blessed us exceedingly. 
I have felt much, much inspiration, and that still small voice bore witness to me once again of the truth of the work and the message. What a joy it was, riding home along the snowy mountain road, singing, O oh, my Father. Such contentment and peace as I have never felt, that is the gospel. Yes, that is the ministry. That is the Holy Spirit micromanaging a young elder's life. On other pages of that same journal, there are many entries describing our meetings with Carl Lederhilger, the leader at that time of the Seventh-day Adventist congregations in Upper Austria. Our first, on our first meeting, after an hour of futile scripture bashing about the Sabbath, that good man stopped mid-sentence and said, we're getting nowhere with this discussion. Do you have anything you want to tell us? Filled with the Spirit, I ventured to teach him the plan of salvation a discussion usually reserved until much later. I watched how the Holy Spirit began visibly to micromanage this gentle, kind, and knowledgeable man. At each point, I would ask him to supply scriptures in support of the principles I was teaching, and he enthusiastically would repeat from memory a host of scriptures in support of Mormon claims. The Spirit of God filled the room, and when I broached the question as to how those who have died can receive the vital saving ordinances. I was startled when Carl suddenly rose to his feet, tears springing to his eyes, and recited without my telling him the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? I have studied for years, he cried, to us, his wife, his children, the ceiling, to learn the meaning of this scripture. And now these two young men have made it all crystal clear. This message is from God, Muti, he said to his wife from the depths of his soul. These young men have brought us the truth, the chill up the spine, the cold sweat on the forehead, the trembling in the soul, only shared this time by everyone in the room. The family was baptized a few weeks later. I didn't hear it, but I'm sure the heavenly tabernacle choir was sounding majestic hosannas through the whole event. My journal certainly was. My mission president's journal of 1986 to 1989 describes the same pattern repeated again and again with few variations. The sisters in Solitern were prompted by the spirit to go home from church via the town square, <coughs> some distance out of their way, just at that moment, the moment that a young father, a devote, devoted Pentecostal leader, crossed the same square. From Yugoslavia, very, very ill, and seeking a blessing of help, he had been told by the Holy Spirit to go to the town square at noon, and he would find there someone who would heal him. They met in the square, by chance, of course. He told them his need. The sisters led him back to the bishop's office of the Solothurn Chapel, where he received a promised blessing. They then went to the man's home on the following day to inquire after his help, and learned that he had been instantly healed. They taught him and his wife and family. They joined the church and later moved back to Yugoslavia just in time to be the hosts for the first LDS missionaries sent to open the country for missionary work. And a host of people shouted, Hosanna. The, the journal also recounts how Rocco, a rock musician in St. Gallen, hastening to perform a gig with his rock group was forced by a blowout on his bicycle to walk his bike through the crowded St. Gallen Square, a route he would never have taken except on foot, a route which took him 
right by the exhibit at which Sister Chambers and Sister Bauman spotted him and took him to a nearby park bench where the Holy Spirit managed to make him late for his concert. Just over a year later, Rocco accepted a mission called Vienna, Austria, where he served with distinction, a finesser for the Lord in micromanaging the course of many souls into the kingdom of God, Hosanna. <clears throat> As mission president, I monitored the weekly reports of 125 missionaries, all written in German, which I corrected and edited with my professorial red pen. <coughs> but those reports were far more than German exercises. I learned to consider that weekly stack of reports as the acts of the Holy Ghost in German Switzerland, southern Germany, and Austria. The excitement in reading such reports came in watching the none-too-subtle changes which were occurring week after week in the souls of those missionaries. Testimonials to the fathers moving in mysterious ways to micromanage the destinies of his sons and daughters. Sandwiched among the daily, often nitpicking concerns of these young ministers of God were those startling Hosanna moments which testified sometimes in awe and wonder and sometimes in the most matter-of-fact fashion how God had stretched his finger into their lives or the lives of their investigators and brought about yet another course change which will affect, affect eternity. After a year or two of reading these modern scriptures in the rough, I started in amazement on hearing a venerable Swiss member proclaim that the Spirit was not as evident in the church as it had been formerly. I gently took issue with him, bore testimony, and then took a little scientific survey of my missionaries, defining in our mission letter what I meant by a spiritual experience. I asked the missionaries to report in our next interview the number and nature of specific interventions by the Lord in their lives during, or the lives of their investigators during the past week. I established no margin of error in my survey since mission presidents, at least Swiss mission presidents, never make any errors. <laughs> but my findings were telling. During my mission-wide interviews that next week, I found that every missionary had experienced and recorded in their journals an average of six Hosanna moments during that week. Even in the arithmetic of an English professor, that amounts in the small Swiss Zurich mission to a projected average of 650 experiences per week or 33,800 per year, or during the three-year term of a mission president, that means the Holy Ghost has made his presence felt some 101,400 times. And the mission president routinely gets to read about many of them in the weekly reports, and you heard it here first. I don't want to argue for my scientific method, but these approximations suggest why some of us mission presidents are loath to leave their uncommon Zions and why missionaries who have basked in the inexpressible and ineffable for 18 or 24 months must settle for the old cliché, these were the best two years of my life. Of course they were. Oh, that I were an angel and could make a record of the acts of the Holy Ghost among the Latter-day Saints and the children of men. Oh, that every child of God were commanded to dial an 800 number and record at church headquarters in Salt Lake City each surprise of the Spirit in our lives. Then, as John said, I suppose that even the world itself should not contain the books that should be written. Not all of the Lord's micromanagement is to be found in the mission field, of course. The Spirit of the Lord is at the ready, and if we build a spiritual edifice, He will come. As President McKay testified, 
Spirit, you're a little slow on that one. As President McKay testified, <laughs> spiritual manifestations seem to come to him as they do to most of us, as a natural sequence to the performance of duty. If we place ourselves in the way of the Spirit and are wholeheartedly engaged in the service of our fellow beings, they will turn to us in times of spiritual need, and inevitably we will experience his closeness through them. Your present church calling, then, devotedly performed, will give you your surest access to the Holy Spirit, though I am not confident that the position of wardy racer cleaner affords quite the same chance as elders president or Relief Society or president or visiting teacher or home teacher. I do know that if we fill our callings with an eye single to the glory of God, the Father will match every Father may I step we take toward Him with a giant step toward us. He will open sacred doors and answer heartfelt prayers in marvelous ways, and we will find ourselves shouting Hosanna once again. One never knows when such Hosanna moments will occur. Some weeks ago, I was called out of a Thursday evening meeting of the Missionary Training Center branch where I serve as a branch president by an elder with a toothache that hurt so bad that he was crying in pain and a jaw so swollen that he had not been able to eat all day. Unable to get into a dentist until the following afternoon, he asked if I would bless the pain away. Do you think it can be done, I asked, trying to put down my own inner Schweinhund that sees toothache as abscesses in need of repair and was wondering how I could arrange to get him some painkiller pills at that time of night. Then I heard him say, his voice charged with faith, I know the Lord can do it. And I don't see any useful lesson to be gained by this pain when I can't concentrate on Japanese or anything but pain. And I see a whole lot to be gained if the Lord will simply stop the pain. We talked until I felt the Spirit whisper now and flooding my mind with what should, I should say. And then I laid on hands and blessed that young man on feeding those impulses that I know as the promptings of the Spirit in my soul, I clambered out on a swaying branch I had trodden before and promised him that he would be healed at once. I concluded the blessing, spoke a few words of instruction about how to pray after a blessing, and we returned to the branch meeting. Otherwise engaged with missionaries, I did not see him again that evening, but I prayed hard on Friday and Saturday, that the Lord would have already granted the young man the blessing he sought and more. On Sunday morning, it was in my office door, bright-eyed and radiant, to tell me that a miracle had indeed occurred. Before he had taken his seat in the meeting to which we had returned on Thursday, the pain had stopped. By the end of the meeting, the throbbing was gone. By the time he was back in his room, the swelling had left and he was able to eat. He did not keep his appointment with the dentist the next afternoon. He said he couldn't afford the time away from Japanese. He bore testimony to me that his joy in the reality of the Holy Spirit in his life exceeded the relief he experienced with the cessation of pain. This testimony had come to a spiritually insecure young man who needed at that time, in that place and in that way, some unambiguous support from his wise Heavenly Father. As the door closed behind him, I said aloud, Thanks, Lord, and experienced that familiar flood of warmth and comfort, something akin, I suppose, to being perched in the hollow of his hand. Fathers and mothers give each other much occasion for Hosanna moments and grow up together. 
I was humbled, a humbled participant in such a moment late one evening several years ago after our young daughter fell and struck her head a terrible blow. I rushed into the room and was stunned to find my wife kneeling over an apparently lifeless girl. As I knelt across my wife thinking about first aid and paramedics, she looked up and pointed her finger at my chest and said with a power I knew flowed from the purest spring, heal her. Now! <laughs> Always obedient, I immediately laid my hands on Jennifer's head, and I spoke the keys in the name of Jesus Christ, and by the power of his priesthood, I command that you be healed this instant. Amen. As I lifted my hands, Jennifer's chest began to heave, her breathing recommenced, and her eyes focused. Looking up into the anxious faces of two frightened parents, she said the sweetest words we'd ever heard. What's wrong? <laughs> Nothing, we responded. Everything's fine now. Driving home from the hospital that night, my wife and I were in a state of hosanna. Our father had once more spanned the gap with his immortal finger and managed another surprise of the spirit. We had already believed that he knows each sparrow's fall but this was our little sparrow whose life he had intervened to preserve. I find I could go on relating such instances, the Holy Spirit permitting, and he does not always permit, from now until the cougars win their next holiday bowl. <laughs> but to go on that long would be a terrible fate for you kind listeners, especially when you're being addressed by one who, regardless of his desires to be led by the Spirit, could never find his car in the Marriott Center parking lot. <laughs> when I step back from the routines and dailinesses of my life and sift and winnow my experiences, I stand all amazed at the number of Hosanna moments I have experienced or of which I have learned through the witness of others. It is clear to me that we're surrounded by the holy, that our God is indeed on hand and on duty through his minister, the Holy Spirit and it is with us all, all of the time in our mortal journey, exactly as it was in the early, with the early missionaries of this dispensation. I will go before your face, the Lord promised. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. In the Lord's micromanagement of our lives, we witness, wrote C.S. Lewis, a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. Let us then be born of that Holy Spirit, that we may always be born by the Spirit. Let us shatter the earth crust that accrues to our souls and live as Brigham Young urged the saints so as to have the Spirit every day, every hour of the day, every minute of the day. Let us conscientiously opt for spirituality which means cultivating the near constant companionship of the Lord's Spirit. Let us opt to see the world Mormonly, to look through eyes single to the glory of God, constantly refocusing in the give and take of life the eternal perspective, and ever seeing the present life for the parenthesis in eternity it is, and, see, and soaking our spiritual contact lenses in that expansive mantic view Let's be able to say, as C.S. Lewis said about Christianity, I believe in Mormonism as I believe that the sun is risen. 
Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The Holy Spirit shall come to you this afternoon, tomorrow, or the day after. And when he comes, be grateful. Honor his presence. Heed his admonitions, and he shall abide with you. And then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. And the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion forever and ever. The Spirit of God, like a fire, is burning. His latter-day glory flows everywhere forth. His Spirit and blessings are manifest daily, and angels commune with his children on earth. We'll sing and we'll shout with the armies of heaven, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Let glory to them in the highest be given, henceforth and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.